before we get going, quick admission here. I broke my 20 minute rule with this one. To be honest, I'm not sure how long I'll stick with the 20 minute rule anyway. We'll just have to see. But now that that's out of the way, let's jump on in. Dads, does this experience sound familiar to you? You're getting ready for bed and everything is normal. You've been home from the hospital with your new baby for a few days now, and you're just getting adjusted to the new schedules and chores and tasks and everything associated with your new life and the new baby. And just a couple hours ago, you were taking some pictures of the baby, sending them to family, and it's about time for the baby to eat, and, well, baby's bedtime is your new bedtime because you don't want to miss any sleep, so you're getting ready as well. It's about time for the baby to start eating, and so you're setting the stage, right? You're dimming the lights, you're getting the humidifier going, maybe a white noise machine, and the feeding is coming to an end. And, of course, everybody's tired and ready for some sleep, and the baby goes down and is fast asleep. And then mom goes down and she's fast asleep. And so you lay down and you take a quick inventory of your nightly routine to make sure you didn't forget anything. And you close your eyes and finally start drifting off to sleep. And that's when it happens. The thought pops into your mind. Check on the baby to make sure she is still breathing. So you get up, you check on the baby, and you can see her little chest going up and down. So you lay back down, feeling much better. And now that you're back down, baby's still breathing, you get to go to sleep. And you finally start drifting off again to that moment when you're falling asleep. You're not quite there yet, but you're more asleep than you are conscious. And you're conscious enough to have that thought pop back into your head. I need to check to see if she's still breathing. This time though, because you were falling asleep and lost track of time a little bit, you don't know if it's been 15 minutes or if it's been 2 hours. So you startle awake, you rush over to the baby's bassinet or crib to check on her again. Turns out, She's breathing just fine. You feel better, kinda. Your adrenaline is now pumping a little bit. You feel a little pale, clammy, maybe have a cold sweat. You might even be a little nauseous. So you grab a glass of water, drink it down slowly to try and calm down again. It takes a long time to come off the adrenaline rush and you've already lost 30 to 45 minutes of your precious three hours before the baby will need to eat again. But this time, you're a little hesitant to go back to sleep. If you take your attention away from her for just long enough, well, that's all it takes, right? So you stare at her for a few minutes. And half of your emotions involve you just melting and loving this new baby, and the other half fighting off the thought that this world is trying to take her from you. This was me every single night for at least the first few weeks our baby was home. My anxiety shot through the roof. I could not sleep well unless she was simply going down for a nap and my wife was watching her. And not only that, it did not end with bedtime. It was this haunting presence. These crazy thoughts would pop into my head. All the crazy ways a freak accident could take her from me. They were everywhere. And you know what? Honestly, it was excruciating. I just wanted to enjoy my baby, but her presence, her very presence, brought feelings and emotions that were quite daunting for me. Now don't get me wrong, these first few weeks were absolutely precious. We took pictures, we snuggled, I would lay her on my bare chest and feed her because I heard this type of skin-to-skin -skin contact with dad is actually very good because, well, she was mostly breastfed, so the few times I got to do this were precious to me. I seriously gushed over our new baby, and you know what, it was great in so many ways. That said, I was anxious. I worried, and I hadn't ever really confronted this before. And you know what? I handled it wrong. 
I suffered in silence for the most part, and when I would bring it up, I brought it up as a joke. I brought it up as, well, another dig on dads, actually. I brought it up and laughed and poked fun at myself. It was painful, though. I think there's some misconception out there that because we as dads aren't the ones giving birth, that we aren't allowed to struggle, that it's not allowed to be hard, that we aren't allowed to express concerns, pains, or any type of difficulty associated with having a new baby in our world. And you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, watching my wife sacrifice and labor and delivery was incredible. I could see two things on her face. One, I saw discomfort. And two, I could see how much she loved our baby. She was so beautiful because she embraced her sacrifice and filled it full of meaning and purpose. And I love this about her and I will never downplay it. The fact that I had this anxiety, though, doesn't detract from her sacrifice, and nor should it. I found a really interesting study about these types of emotions and feelings. It was published in the American Journal of Men's Health. It says that about 10% of new dads develop what's called perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And dads whose wives suffered from some sort of perinatal depression were up to 40% more likely to also show signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. And these symptoms don't really look anything like mom's. Men are more likely to display anger, hyperactive behavior, irritability, and have lower impulse control. Men tend to mask their depression with interpersonal conflict, bodily complaints, drug and alcohol use, and avoidance behavior. You see, somewhere along the line, society decided that because we dads don't give birth, that we don't struggle with depression or anxiety. And since admitting that we might be struggling can be portrayed as weakness, many men don't do it not even to ourselves, and then that struggle starts to manifest itself in other ways. And because depression and anxiety doesn't display in traditionally expected ways in men, the symptoms can be harder to see. Psychologists call it depressive equivalence or masked depression. These types of symptoms have been directly linked to male aversion to displaying weakness or vulnerability. Men who mask symptoms of anxiety and depression, for whatever reason, aren't actually dealing with them. We might think the more guardrails we put around our symptoms that we can contain it and eventually smother it. So here's a question. If somebody was threatening you and your family and was pushing you into a corner, what would you do? I don't want to dig into all the possible responses here, but I know you wouldn't just let it happen. Well, masking depression and anxiety is a surefire way of allowing yourself to get painted into a corner and your family's coming with you. I learned, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, that a depressed or anxious dad can be very negative on the family too. So, continue imagining what happens when we choose to ignore these types of symptoms. We decide to not deal with our anxiety or depression, but instead we try to smother it. Let's ball up a bunch of negative energy and try to suppress it by applying a bunch of pressure. How well does that work out? Seems like a recipe for disaster. Eventually, this pressure is going to give. And the issues are going to start permeating into other parts of our life. Here's a great example. I read a story once about a baby dying while napping in a car seat. It broke my heart and it also scared me to death. I hated putting my daughter in her car seat. I actually made sure my wife was sitting in the back seat with her sometimes when we would go places just to make sure that she was still breathing. All it took was an article that I had read to trigger me into anxiety about a car seat. 
Turns out, too, the story didn't even come close to applying to our situation either, meaning I was aware of the risks and was doing everything I could to mitigate them. And I'm aware that it's not recommended to allow babies to nap in car seats when not in the car, however. The thing is, I took good advice and allowed it to be all-consuming for a while. I recognized that I was being a bit unreasonable, though. I recognized that I had some anxiety, so I personally took measures to overcome it. I maintained my schedule, I continued working out every day, I made sure I was very involved with my baby, and I didn't miss things. I didn't let this anxiety overtake every part of my life. I maintained my foundation of strength from which I approached this anxiety, and I found that I was able to begin overcoming some of this. That said, as I mentioned, Society does not seem to care very much about men who might struggle with this, or they seem a bit apathetic in the very least. In fact, the apathy toward male depression, even by men themselves, is so prevalent, this study that I'm mentioning in the American Journal of Men's Health actually admits that, quote, the literature on men's experience of depression exposes inherent diagnostic limitations and challenges. Current diagnostic criteria are probably skewed toward female responses to depression and including assessment of symptoms of stress, anxiety, antisocial, or risk-taking behavior could reveal higher rates of affective disorders in men. Quote, Most diagnostic material focuses on women's experiences and women's responses. Not enough men take it seriously and they suffer for it. Again, we find ourselves at a place where we wonder what caused what. Is it because there are so many apathetic men who don't care to address feelings associated with depression and anxiety that society is apathetic about them? Or are men just expendable to society to the point that society is oblivious to their feelings? Again, I don't care what caused what here. I don't care to establish causation. This is a problem, and pointing fingers trying to establish blame doesn't really address the problem. What makes it harder is that these feelings and emotions are so intertwined with the excitement and joy and happiness of having a new baby. I mean, it even seems weird to be talking and reflecting about this, because I was so excited when my baby came. I just couldn't wait. I was excited to do all these cool dad things with her. That doesn't mean that the extra responsibilities were easy for me. It doesn't mean I wasn't affected by the fact that my baby got most of my wife's attention doesn't mean that becoming a caregiver for my new baby and, at least for a few weeks, my wife, was easy. It was fulfilling, but it did induce anxiety. My wife and I had even talked about the challenges and changes our life would have. Seriously though, talking about running a marathon doesn't make running the marathon any easier. Sure, mentally prepared a little more, but it's still a mental and physical challenge. It's weird to talk about these things because I know I was there. I might not have really been plagued with a deep depression, but I expressly felt a wide range of feelings and emotions, and I suppressed them most of the time. In fact, as I mentioned, I used it as a joke again. And During labor and delivery, I was obviously not the one with the harder job. Totally obvious, and I would never claim otherwise. That said, my back was sore after that day because of the way that I was supporting and holding my wife while she labored. And I used this back pain to make myself the butt of a joke again by downplaying myself. And I don't really see much harm in self-deprecating humor, to be honest. Again, I think there's a balance here, but two things can be true at once here. One, it was a long, hard day for me. And two, it was a much longer and much harder day for my wife. Still doesn't mean that it was an easy day for me, and you know what? I think it's okay to acknowledge that. 
It does not take away from my wife's sacrifice at all. In fact, I think the struggles that I went through honor her sacrifice. The purpose of whatever struggle I went through that day was focused on supporting her. If it was hard and took a toll on my body and mind, then it must have meant that I was deeply affected and connected to my wife. I was willing to be there and go through whatever I needed to. I appreciate so much what she went through, and I tried to be as engulfed in that experience as I could. And you know what? It just wasn't easy. That labor and delivery process was amazing. My adrenaline was pumping a lot, there were some quiet times too, and there were some times that were a bit frantic. It was hard to not be in the moment during labor, so I wasn't really thinking beyond the present at that time. After we got home, though, that's when all these weird things started happening. I got a little OCD at first. For example, I would check the door to make sure it locked over and over and over again. I had less and less patience with our dogs. I got restless and always needed to be doing something. I had these relentless thoughts about how the world was going to get my baby, and I had to protect her. I remember thinking, these are just normal thoughts. I'm sure every dad goes through this exact same thing. This is what I had to keep telling myself so that they'd go away. And whether or not I was right about that, and to some degree all dads go through this, doesn't really change the fact, though, that the idea of actually recognizing and treating men with some form of perinatal depression is relatively new. There really hasn't been any empirically studied treatments for fathers who suffer from perinatal depression. Not only that, according to this study I just read, it's a hard thing to study because seeking psychiatric help of some form, seems to contradict with the norms of manhood. Maybe us men think that if we need help managing stress and anxiety caused by having a new baby in our lives, it somehow dilutes our state of manhood or fatherhood. Personally, I don't think this could be farther from the truth. I believe strength comes from a recognition of our weaknesses and learning how to make them a little bit stronger. Especially with a new baby in play, it's not really about just dad anymore. It's about mom, the baby and the family. Suffering from perinatal depression cannot be an easy thing. I would not say that I got to the point of being depressed, but as I mentioned, my anxiety skyrocketed. Anytime I was not focused on a task and keeping my mind occupied, my mind was flooded with all the ways that the world was trying to take my baby away. So I kept myself busy to the point that I was almost showing signs of avoidance behavior. I was almost avoiding my wife and my baby. I caught myself thinking about the different ways that I could outsource the parenting responsibilities to my wife, and I had to fight them. It was an act of realization and habit creation to fight against it. I can see how easy it would be to simply detach and avoid. Here's the weird thing, too. Whatever task I was using to keep busy also became more engaging. It was like it caught my attention more than it had in the past. I spoke about this a little bit in a previous episode, those moments when I'd ask my wife, hey, do you want me to change her? Sounds like an okay thing to ask your wife, right? Well, how many times has my wife asked me, hey, do you want me to change the baby, or did she just do it? Answer, she just did it. It's not hard to extrapolate this behavior to other parts of life. Instead of even asking, it would be easy to just engage in keeping busy with a plethora of activities and reasons to keep you from engaging as a dad. They could even be good activities, cooking, cleaning, working, exercising, but it would become obvious at some point that the opportunity cost of those activities 
was resulting in directly avoiding my new baby and wife. And sure, things needed to get done. Again, there's a balance here. I'm simply saying that I can definitely see how easy it would have been to further and further detach from my wife and baby and attach more and more to work, exercise, chores, etc. This can obviously lead to difficulties within the family. Again, according to this article that I'm referring to, men suffering from perinatal depression can have a negative effect on children's development and behavior. It says, quote, Children of fathers with depression at eight weeks postpartum have been identified to be at an increased risk for behavioral problems at three and a half years of age, even controlling for factors such as maternal depression and father's later depression. This effect is stronger in boys than in girls. In a later study, it says that children whose fathers were depressed in the prenatal and postnatal periods were at the highest risk of psychopathology at three and a half years and psychiatric diagnosis at seven years. Additionally, early paternal depression has been reported to predict poor psychological and behavioral outcomes in children four to five years of age. In particular, hyperactivity in boys and emotional and social development in girls are sensitive to their father's diagnosed perinatal depression. There is also evidence that perinatal depression may adversely affect children's capacity to learn with long-term negative cognitive and educational consequences. The literature points to the deleterious impacts that paternal depression can have on parenting behaviors and relationships. Another study identified paternal depression to be associated with fewer positive parenting behaviors such as displaying warmth, sensitivity, and responsiveness, and a greater number of maladaptive behaviors such as hostility, intrusiveness, and disengagement. So I know a lot of us guys think, well, I'll just suffer in silence, I'll just deal with it. But I think there is a strong case against this. Kids are more likely to struggle if their dad is going through some sort of depression. I'm not any type of great example either. Sure, I mentioned certain things to my wife about being anxious, but mostly as jokes. I joked about sometimes not being able to sleep and such. I think, though, I could have done a better job at sincerely identifying a problem. And sure, I wouldn't want to overdiagnose something that might not actually be there. But I'm realizing now that with a new baby in my life, I might want to err on the side of caution. The whole tough-it-out strategy probably isn't the best route to go anymore because... Again, it isn't about me. Honestly, I could have used some help there. A little bit of perspective would have helped. For example, I was terrified of SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. And you know what? I still am. It breaks my heart for those who have lost a child to SIDS, and I think the thing I hate the most about it is that I don't have any direct control over it. I spent so much of my time worrying about something that I had no control over, and it took its toll on me. And yeah, there are some steps you can take to protect against SIDS, but those things are only correlated with SIDS. We don't know what causes it. There is no surefire way to protect against it. And SIDS is a great example to what everything felt like. Any threat seemed to be something that I didn't have a clear defense for, and therefore I could only do limited things to protect my baby. And I hated this. It got to a point, no matter what I did, that I couldn't do anymore, and the threat still remained. And this is exactly what it felt like all the time. It just drove me crazy. Simple things became unbearable sometimes. Driving, because I could only control my own vehicle and not everybody else's. Eating, she could choke at any time. Sure, I was keeping her bites and food appropriate, 
and that's the most I could do. Irrational things quickly turned irrational. For example, my mind would meander through these incredible scenarios in which I'd have to save her from alligators, for example. You know, this really happened at Disney World. It's extremely unlikely, but it still happened. Spiders, bee stings, being kidnapped at any moment, and even her car seat. I was convinced that she shouldn't ever sleep in a car seat because her head might prop forward and close off her airway. Again, this actually happened, so in my mind, I wasn't being overly irrational. But it turns out, I was being incredibly irrational because I was allowing my brain to assign the same risk factor to each and everything that crossed my mind. Like it was just as likely that she would be taken from me in a car accident as it would be by an alligator. Yeah, totally irrational. But in each scenario in my head that it played out, I still felt an incredible profound loss as I imagined it. Even with the risk being incredibly low in all of these scenarios that I was preparing for in my brain, they got equal airtime on my brain stage as the other ones that were much more likely. And I just wanted to be able to turn off the worry for a minute and feel like everything was okay. And I'm not suggesting that the answer is to just let go and not care about anything. I think, again, there's a balance here, and that balance might look differently for everybody. What I'm getting at here is twofold. First, it's okay for it to be hard. It's okay to struggle with anxiety. It's okay that the labor and delivery was a long and hard day for you too. And it's okay that you have emotions about it. Second, it's okay and important that if you're going through some type of depression or anxiety that is affecting your life, to get some help. Doing right by your family is anything but weak. Getting your mind in a place to where your family gets to have 100% you is strength. And I sincerely believe that asking for help for the overall benefit of your family is an absolute display of strength and in no way diminishes your role or your importance as a man or a father. Yeah!